You are now listening to the April 18th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Story of Kings, Sermon, and Praying for the Next Generation. First, let's begin with Story of Kings. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. This is Brian from the Story of the Kings. Last week, we learned about Samuel, the last judge, whom God prepared to change Israel into a kingdom because the Israelites said Samuel was aging. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, and there wasn't an acceptable successor to follow him. For that reason, they asked for a king, and God allowed it. Samuel explained about the bad things that would happen. He explained to the people that they would have to pay a lot of taxes and serve when they needed labor and men for the army. However, the elders and the people didn't take Samuel's warning seriously. They shouted that they need a king to lead the people into battle like the other nations. Now, at that time, there were many battles so they thought they needed a strong leader to lead the army. God said this to Samuel in 1 Samuel 9, verse 16. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man. He is from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the king of my people Israel. He will save them from the power of the Philistines. I have seen how much my people are suffering. Their cry for help has reached me. Samuel started to prepare for a kingship system according to the people's request and God's permission. God chose one person from the land of Benjamin. The person was Saul, and he was from the powerful family of Kish in the tribe of Benjamin. One day, donkeys were lost from Saul's family. At that time, Sheep or donkeys were the standard for a family's wealth. The donkeys were missing. According to his father's will, Saul went to look for the lost donkeys. Saul and his servants went to look for the donkeys for three days. However, they couldn't find it. Finally, Saul was on his way to the town to look for the prophet, and he met Samuel, who was coming from the other direction. As soon as Samuel met Saul, God said, He is the man I told you about. He will govern my people. After Samuel invited Saul for dinner, he said, Don't worry about the donkeys you lost three days ago. He has already been found. Then Samuel said Saul and his family will be the kings that the Israelites have desired. Saul was shocked. Then Saul said, I am an insignificant person from the tribe of Benjamin, which is the smallest tribe in Israel. During the era of the judges, Israel was governed by the chief priest or elder of the tribe. There were a total of 12 tribes. The influential tribes, such as Ephraim and Manasseh, were in conflict with the non-influential tribes. Also, geographically, There were conflicts between the tribes of the Fertile North, 
where life was comfortable, and the tribes of the desolate south. The tribe of Benjamin that Saul belonged to was a small tribe that was looked down upon by other tribes. The tribe of Benjamin was the descendant of the youngest son of Rachel, whom Jacob loved the most. Towards the end of the age of the judges, a Levite from Ephraim took a concubine to spend a night in Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. However, he was assaulted by the people of Gibeah, and they ended up killing the concubine. As a result, the tribe of Benjamin was attacked by the other tribal alliance, and 25,000 men died. In addition, the women from other tribes could not marry men from this tribe, so the tribe of Benjamin was on the verge of collapse. Saul was from this tribe that was looked down upon and collapsing, so he couldn't believe that he, along with his family, would become the kings of Israel. Samuel seated Saul and his servant at the head table and served them with a meal which was the thigh of a cow that he had prepared in advance. At that time, when offering a cow as a sacrifice, the head was set on fire at the altar along with the organs, fat, and tail. The body was divided and eaten by the person given the sacrifice and the chief priest. The right thigh belonged to the chief priest. Only the chief priest and his family were able to eat the sacred right thigh. And Saul couldn't believe that this was served to him. The next morning, Samuel poured oil on Saul's head and kissed him. Then he said, The Lord has anointed you to be the king of his people. It was the ritual to anoint the new king or a chief priest or a prophet when they were appointed and distinguished as holy. It was hard for Saul to accept the things that were happening to him, but he gradually began to believe that God had appointed him as king. God gave Saul secret prophecies, and all the prophecies were fulfilled. Then Saul told his family and the people of his town about meeting Samuel and everything that had happened to him. However, he couldn't tell them the prophecy about becoming a king. Samuel was busy preparing Saul to be king. He gathered the Israelites to a Mizpah to introduce the king. He then reminded the people once again that it was wrong before God to request a king. As God mentioned before, he has allowed Saul to be chosen as the king among all the tribes. We'll continue on with the story of Saul during our next episode. Thank you for listening and God bless.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is Elohim, the all-powerful creator. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. Names are important, are they not? Names are important to us as human beings. How much more important are the names that we ascribe to God or that are given to God? It's one thing that I would know your name and that you would know my name, but how much more important is it that you and I know the names of God? In the scriptures, there are a million names for God and and titles for God. And, And if I were to do this, if we were to do every name and every title, we would be in the series forever. But we're going to look at some of the main names and some of the main um, titles given to God. And it's hopefully going to be a series in which you are fully blessed. So here's the deal. It is in just the fourth word of the very first verse of the Bible that we are introduced to the main figure in all the scriptures. And that, of course, is God himself. And we read this in Genesis chapter 1. And Oh, there it goes. I dropped the clicker and the batteries fell out and I was afraid it wasn't going to work. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the specific name used in this particular verse, Genesis 1-1, is the name Elohim. So let's give it a try. Get your Hebrew out. Elohim. Elohim. You guys sound great. Listen, I had to take two and a half years of Greek and a year and a half of Hebrew to graduate from seminary. And out of all, a year and a half of Hebrew, all I remember is the first four words of the Old Testament, which is bara sheith bara Elohim, which means in the beginning, God. That's all I remember. That's as much, so you know just about as much Hebrew as I do, and uh, you didn't even go to seminary, but you know the word Elohim, barashit bara Elohim, Elohim, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the term Elohim, which is interesting, appears over 3,000 times in the Bible. That's a lot of times, which means it is a name that we want to become familiar with for sure. But here's the deal. This is what's interesting. Not all the times that we see the name Elohim in the Bible does it refer to God. Sometimes it doesn't refer to God. Elohim can be used to refer to things such as demons or angels. Sometimes it refers to judges or rulers. We might say that the term Elohim is equivalent to our title president. President, right? There's one president of the United States. And so when we say the president, we're often thinking the president of the United States. But that doesn't limit us from using the title president In other contexts, we might say so-and-so is president of the golf club or so-and-so is president of the chess club. There's different presidents, and so we use that term, but not exclusively. And so in the Bible, we see it being used, but not exclusively. But the majority of times in the scriptures where we see the term Elohim, there is the one true Elohim. There is the one true God. Now, what's interesting is that the name Elohim appears an astounding 35 times in just Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, this name bursts onto the scene and it's splattered everywhere. The name Elohim plays prominently in the book of Genesis, Deuteronomy, and Psalms in particular. It's not the only place we find the term Elohim, but in those three books in particular, it is everywhere. And again, in Genesis 1 and 2, it appears 35 times. And so when we see the term Elohim in scripture, we see it associated with God's creative power. That God is the God who creates all things seen and unseen. So when we hear that term Elohim, we need to remember that he is the all-powerful God that created all things seen and unseen. And this truth that God is Elohim is the creator of all things seen and unseen is seen in other places throughout the scripture. So for example, in Isaiah 58, we read these words. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is 
He is Elohim. That's the word right there in Isaiah. He is Elohim who formed the earth and made it and established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. By the way, when you see, and I'll talk about this next week, when you see the term G-O-D in scripture, generally that's referring to Elohim as opposed to capital like L-O-R-D. If you see capital L-O-R-D, that refers to Yahweh or Jehovah. If you see L, capital lowercase O-R-D, that refers to Adonai. But, so when you see the term God, you're generally referring, it's generally in your English Bible referring to Elohim. Elohim, again, is the all-powerful creator, and there is literally he, nothing that he cannot do. This is a truth that is expressed by the prophet Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord. Okay, I lost you there. I need your Elohims, all right? Behold, behold, I am the Lord of all flesh. I'm the Elohim of all flesh. Again, we see Elohim in connection with being the creator of all things, creator of all flesh. And then this question is asked, is anything too hard for me? Let me ask you, is there anything too hard for Elohim? Of course not. If he can create a universe this vast with billions of galaxies, billions of trillions of stars, uh, if he can create life on this planet so intricate as it is, if he can create you and me, there's nothing that he cannot do. It's a rhetorical question, obviously. The God who can speak all things into existence out of nothing, what can't he do? And folks, I could stop right there and let that be a reminder, guys, that you follow the God for whom nothing is too hard. Amen? And that's good news in your day of trouble. That is good news when anxious thoughts assail you. Listen, the world does not have what we have. The world at its very best, on its very best day, can only turn to the things of the world in their day of trouble. You and I get to turn to Elohim, the one for whom nothing is too hard. And let that be of comfort to you today. Elohim, of course, was the God that Paul sought to make known to the people of Athens. So let's go to Acts chapter 17 just for a moment. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, I have it up here. You can go on your app on your phone. Now in the New Testament, they're using Greek. So they're going to use words like theos and kurios. Those are the Greek words for God. So we're not going to necessarily see the word Elohim here. But let me ask you, when I read this text, tell me who Paul is describing. Okay, here we go. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, again, he's passing through Athens and there's idols everywhere. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. Who's he talking about? You bet he is. That sounds like Genesis 1-1, doesn't it? It sounds like Genesis 1-1 right there. And it goes on, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul is describing Elohim. He shows up in Athens and he says, let me tell you about the God you don't know. His name is Elohim. He is the creator of all things seen and unseen. He is the one that gives life and breath to everyone. A very powerful and vivid description that Paul gives. He who made the world and everything in it. He spoke it into existence out of absolutely nothing. That's incredible. Now this is where it gets very interesting. Elohim is the very God that secular humanists are after. Let me explain. Secular humanism is not after Yahweh. They're not after Emmanuel. They're not after Jesus. They're not after any other God other than the God that we are introduced to in Genesis chapter one, verse one, and that is Elohim. Why? Secular humanists want us to believe that the world and everything in it just popped into existence from nothing, by nothing, and for nothing. And folks, that is a direct assault on the God that we are introduced to in Genesis 1.1, Elohim. 
They are denying, the secular humanists are denying the all-powerful creator of everything seen and unseen in Genesis chapter 1. That is why, folks, when the theory of evolution burst onto the scene in the 19th and 20th centuries, the one chapter of the Bible that came under immediate and direct attack was what? Genesis chapter 1? The secular humanists, to their credit, knew where the battle was going to be won and lost. They went straight to Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1, and they attacked Elohim. There is no Elohim. And you know what we as Christians did? We conceded Genesis chapter 1. They came up with all sorts of crazy theories of why God didn't have to exist. They came up with all sorts of scenarios. They said, you can't, listen folks, if you can't trust Genesis 1-1, what makes you think you can trust the rest of the Bible? And yet the secular humanists knew that. And to this very day, they have not budged off Genesis chapter one. They know where the battle is. The battle is with Elohim. Because if they can get rid of Elohim, all other discussions are mute. All other discussions are over with. There's no need to talk about the God of the Bible if there is no God of the Bible. This is where the battle was. They went straight to Genesis 1-1 and said, there is not a God. They came up with the theory of evolution. They crammed it in there. They told us that, that we could not trust that God created the world, that he couldn't do it in six days. They, they made us doubt everything. And what we did is we simply walked away from Genesis 1-1 and said, okay, that chapter is yours, but we have the rest of the Bible. Folks, if you can't trust Genesis 1-1, what makes you think you can trust the rest of the Bible? Again, that was to their credit. They were brilliant. The secular humanists were smart. They went right there and did not budge and we caved. But those days are over because the Elohim that is presented in Genesis 1-1 is just as much alive today as he was when he created the world. Amen? He is. And it's time for us as Christians to take back this chapter. Any and all further discussions of God are unnecessary. And that's exactly why they attacked Elohim. They didn't necessarily attack Yahweh, Emmanuel, or any other name of God. They went after him. And by the way, there is no need to talk about Jesus being the son of God if there is no God in the first place. You see how important this name is. Once we concede Elohim, we've conceded just about everything. We have conceded just about everything. When we concede that there is an all-power, self-sufficient creator of the universe, we've conceded everything. Now, let's go back to what Paul says about God, about Elohim, who, the one who created all things seen and unseen. So let's go back. Let me read this passage again. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. To the unknown Elohim. By the way, lowercase g-o-d can also be uh, Elohim. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Now listen to this. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. Life and breath and everything. Elohim is the eternally existent, all-powerful God of the universe. Elohim needs nothing from anyone ever. A point that Paul makes abundantly clear. This is the God you serve, a God that needs nothing from anyone ever. True story. I was in a Bible study up in Washington State. I was in a Bible study. There were some younger Christians in there, and we were talking about God creating the heavens and the earth. And this person, a very young Christian, and with the sincerest of hearts, you're going to laugh when you hear what, what this person said, but with the sincerest of hearts, nobody laughed when they said it. But they said, God created us because he was lonely. God created us because he was lonely. And of course, we knew that immediately wasn't true. That's not right. And so we, with great gentleness, began to correct this person. We had to explain the God that created all things seen and unseen didn't create us because he needed anything. He needs nothing. He's not served by us. He doesn't need us. 
And this was an important truth. And that's why, folks, this is who Elohim is. He is this all-powerful, self-existent creator of the universe who needs nothing. He didn't create us. He didn't create the world or angels or demons or anything. He didn't create any of that because he needs anything. He doesn't need anything from anyone. And here's the kicker to that. He owes nothing to anyone. See, when your theology starts with God created me because he needed something from me, Therefore, God owes me something. You're off on the wrong foot. Your theology is already off on a wrong foot. You're on the wrong train headed in the wrong direction. When you start with God needed me, that's why he created me. Because if he needed me, then he owes me something. God needs nothing and he owes nothing to anyone. The fact that you and I exist is a sheer act of God's grace. The fact that he sent his son, one and only son, to die for our sins is an act of his sheer grace. Elohim did not have to do any of it, but he did all of that. He did all of it for you and for me. So this is where things get interesting. The word Elohim, as I said, plays prominently, not only in the book of Genesis, but also in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, in particular, Psalm 68, we see the word Elohim in Psalm 68 appear no less than 26 times. So if you want to learn something about Elohim, go home and read Psalm 68. Now I'm going to spend a little bit of time in it right now. Now what's interesting about Psalm 68 is Psalm 68 practically covers every aspect of salvation. It covers every act of salvation. And here's why that is significant. Elohim is not only our all-powerful creator, he is also our merciful and mighty savior. Amen? This is who Elohim is. He didn't need to create us. He certainly doesn't need us to serve him. He doesn't owe us anything. And yet he does create us. He does save us. And that is the God that you and I serve. This is who Elohim is. So for example, in Psalm 68, 7 and 8, we read these words. Elohim, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain. Before Elohim, the one of Sinai. Before Elohim, the Elohim of Israel. This, of course, is describing God's saving the people of Israel after 400 years of slavery. And the word that is used time and again throughout the book of Psalm, and Psalm 68 in particular, is that term Elohim. It was Elohim, the mighty arm of Elohim that led the people out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. What's interesting in Psalm 68, we read this, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God, the Lord belong deliverance from death. Now, what's interesting is the words there, the the three gods that I underlined right there, is where we get the word El, where many people think, many scholars think we get the, the fuller term Elohim. El simply means mighty one or powerful one. But here in Psalm 68, again, God is the, he's the El, he's the Elohim, he's the strong and mighty one who created all things and he's mighty to save. He's mighty to create whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, but he's also mighty to save. The point being, again, God saves. Elohim, of course, in Psalm 68 is also described as the one who is willing to save those who are most vulnerable. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is Elohim in his holy habitation. It is Elohim that protects the widows. Psalm 6810 says this, in your goodness, O Elohim, you provide for the needy. So Elohim, as presented in the pages of scripture, is not only the eternally existent, all-powerful creator of the universe, he is the God who saves those who cannot save themselves. Amen? He's the God who saves those that can't save themselves. He is the one who is there for the widow in her time of need. He's there for those that are in their time of need. And that's why I said, folks, in the day of trouble, in the day of anxiety, the world at its best can only turn to the things of this world. You and I get to turn to Elohim, the one that created the world, 
the one that's in charge of the world. He is the one that we turn to. He's the one that is there for you in your darkest hours when the times and the pressures are great upon you and upon me. He is the one who saves. Elohim's saving power, of course, was most fully on display in the sending of his one and only sinless son into the world to die for the sins of mankind. Your greatest need was addressed by Elohim. You know this. Elohim is the one that saved you. Jesus, by the way, is Elohim in the flesh. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does the New Testament say? The New Testament says, in him, by him, and for him, all things were created. That is Jesus Christ. He create, Jesus created all things. So we, when we read, Barashith bara Elohim, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is Jesus that is doing the creating. Jesus is Elohim in the flesh. The greatest display of God's saving power is seen in Jesus. So where does this lead us? Okay, so the name Elohim is everywhere in the Bible. It talks about God's creative power, his ability to speak things into existence. It talks about the fact that he can save us in our darkest time. So what? What does all this mean? Well, let's look at Psalm 68 because there's some really good wisdom in it. So for example, Psalm 68.3 says this, but the righteous shall be glad. They should, shall exalt in Elohim. God, Elohim. Remember, capital G-O-D in scripture often refers to that name Elohim. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God, before Elohim. They shall be jubilant with joy. The response of those that have been created and redeemed and saved by Elohim is one of gladness and joy. Listen, I said it already, folks. The people of this world cannot know the joy that you and I have because they do not know the God that we know. We know Elohim the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the savior of all things. And that is why, folks, if you walked in today and you are looking to the things of this world or the people of this world for your joy, you're looking in the wrong place. And I said it in the first service, if you're looking for your joy from a football team, <laughs> you're looking in the wrong place. My Vikings lost last night. <coughs> Told you sports is a horrible mistress to have. She'll let you down every time. Now, you laugh at me because you know I love my Vikings, but you have your teams, don't you? Now, some of you are going, no, I don't have any teams. You're not any more righteous than the rest of us because we have our politics and we have our pensions. We have things that we look to to find our joy and our strength in, right? Don't we? It doesn't matter what it is. We all have them. Created things that God has put in our presence to bless us and to encourage us, to provide for us, whatever it might be. What we find is that these things get our affections and not him. Not Elohim but the things that Elohim has created and given to us. It is Elohim who is your creator. And not just your creator, the creator of the things that bring you joy. And that is why, folks, you don't ever want to look to the things of this world for your joy. Look to the one that has given you those things as your source of joy. He is your creator, your deliverer, your protector, your provider. The one for whom nothing is too hard to accomplish. But we're not to stop there. Just the very next verse says this. Sing to Elohim. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Sing to Elohim. Exalt in Elohim. Folks, whatever you do, do not shower your praise on the things of this world. Shower your praise on Elohim, the one who created the world. Amen? Listen, far be it that the words that roll out of my mouth are praising the things of this world when I should be praising the one who created this world. And yet so often the things that are coming out of my mouth are focused on the things of this world. They are. And I'm a pastor. I've been to seminary. Impressive, huh? I know Hebrew. Four words of it. That's three more than you know. 
Yeah, so often I found myself showering praise upon the things that God has created instead of the one who created all of those things, Elohim. My fear is that when I approach Elohim, I do it with a flippant attitude, a careless attitude, and that my worship of him is half-hearted at best. I worship God, I come to worship him with one eye here, but one eye on the world, with part of my heart here and part of my heart in the world. With my mouth, I sing the praises to his name. All the while, my heart is far from him. You see, there's a very real danger and a very real trap that we can fall into. And it is a trap that the Israelites and many others down through church history and world history have fallen into. And that is this, that we forget all that Elohim has done for us. You need proof of it? Let me show you. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember I told you the name Elohim placed prominently in Genesis, Deuteronomy, and Psalms. The book of Psalms. But listen to what it says. Take care lest you forget the Lord your Elohim. By not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you... Now listen to this. Does this not describe America? Tell me these verses don't describe America. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your... Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is amazing, folks. But you would think that when God delivers the people of Israel out of 400 years of slavery, think about that, 400 years of slavery, that's twice as long as our country has been in existence. It was actually more like 450 years. So they had been in slavery twice as long as this country has been in existence. God delivers them out and he warns them, you're going to forget about me. And sure enough, what did they do? They forgot about him. Now listen, before I go throwing stones at the nation of Israel for being guilty of doing this, I have to remind myself, I do this all the time. And I'm a pastor. And I've been to seminary. <laughs> and I know four Hebrew words. I can't tell you how many times in my life God, Elohim, has worked mightily on my behalf. He has delivered me out of things just like he delivered the nation of Israel in ways that left me amazed by his goodness, his faithfulness, and his power, but only to find myself forgetting all that he has done for me just a few weeks later. And to be honest with you, in many cases, it's just a few days later. And in some cases, it's just a few hours later. It is quickly how, it is amazing how quickly we can forget Elohim, the one that has created us and sustains us and provides for us and delivers us, how quickly we can forget him. And yet that is exactly what I do. It's exactly what the nation of Israel did. And that is why, folks, we as believers, those who follow Elohim, need to be constantly reminding ourselves of his goodness, ascribing to him power and majesty. That is exactly what, by the way, Psalm 68 tells us to do right towards the end in verse 34 and 35. It says, ascribe power to whose name, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. Awesome is from his sanctuary, the of Israel, the one who gives power and strength to his people, blessed be. Yes. Folks, my life is to be one in which I, my whole disposition is bent towards the Lord, is looking to the things above, seeking him above all things, loving him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, ascribing to him every day power, glory, majesty for all that he does for me. Every day, far be it for me, even for a moment that these lips let words come out in which I'm showering praise on the things of this world, on the created things of this world, instead of looking to the one that created all things in the world. So I want to conclude with a thought today. As I mentioned earlier, the term Elohim appears 3,000 times in the Bible. But not all of those instances refer to God. And I'm going to give you an, one instance where it doesn't refer to God. And it's Exodus 34, 17. 
you shall not make for yourself any Elohim of cast metal. You shall not make for yourself any Elohim of cast metal. You see, the danger in this lifetime is not only do we forget all the mighty deeds that the one true Elohim has done for us, but we take it a step further and we replace the one true Elohim with a false Elohim, a false God, an Elohim made out of metal and wood and stone. And as a result, we put our hope in created things instead of the one who created all things. And I think if we're all going to be honest with each other, we'd have to admit this can happen more often than we like to admit. And folks, it happens to me all the time. I find my hope in the teams that I love. I find my hope in the politicians that I love. I find my hope in the pension that I have. And the, and, and, and the list goes on and on and on. I find myself making these false Elohims and I set them up in my life and I end up bowing down and I end up worshiping them. Not only do I forget what the true Elohim has done for me, what the God of the universe has done for me, I've replaced him with this little shabby thing, this little shabby Elohim that I've made out of metal and gold. It's not surprising that the first two of the Ten Commandments deal with this very issue. And Elohim spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your Elohim who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other Elohims before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to serve them. You shall not bow down to serve them. So as we leave here today, folks, let this be the day with renewed passion. You ascribe all majesty, all power, all glory to the one that created you. He did not have to do it, but he did. Out of his mercy and sheer mercy and grace, he created you. And even though we turned our back on him and he owes us nothing, he sent his one and only son into the world to die for us. Let us ascribe to him majesty, power, glory at all times and in all ways. Let, him, let us seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. Let us love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength at all times and in all ways. Amen? This is the God that you serve. Elohim, the eternally existent, all-sufficient, perfect God of the universe who works mightily on your behalf in your day of trouble. So if I could close with the question, the question is simply this. Is Elohim getting all the praise of your heart? When you walked in today, did all of your heart belong to all of him? Here's the good news. If it didn't, then today is the day. As we launch into 2020, today is the day to put a stake in the ground and say, God, you have all of my heart today. You are the Elohim that created me. You are the Elohim that saves me. You have sustained me and you provide for me. Lord, whatever you do in 2020, don't let me forget about you. Lord, whatever you do, don't let me replace you with a false Elohim. You are the one true Elohim above all. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you. And God, you are the one that created all things seen and unseen. You have revealed yourself as Elohim. God, you are a father to the fatherless. You care for the widows. You care for those in times of need. You are the one that sent your son to save for us. Elohim in the flesh. God, forgive us of the times that we have forgotten about you, the times that we have, you've worked mightily on our behalf and we have forgotten what you've done for us. Forgive us of the times, God, that we have replaced you with false Elohims made of wood, metal, and stone. God, may we ascribe to you all power, all majesty, all glory every day of our lives. God, today, may today be a day in which we look to the heavens, we look to you, worshiping you, singing to you, exalting in you. May you be our joy and our crown this day. 
God, thank you for all the things that you do give us, your provisions. God, we thank you that you care for us. But Lord, may those things that you give to us never rise above you, the one who gives these things. In the quietness of your heart, just spend a moment in private prayer. Worship Elohim, exalt him, sing praise to him now. Father, as we leave, you are our joy and crown. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. And everybody said with me, amen.
majesty, Lord of all, let every throne before him fall, the King of kings, oh come adore, our God who reigns forevermore. Majesty, Lord of all, let every throne before Him fall, the King of kings, O Commodore, our God who reigns forevermore. Praise God who reigns forevermore. You are the God who reigns Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul Ministries on podcast. You can easily play this week or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your vice in only a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries at your iTunes store now. Coming up next is Praying for the Next Generation. Hello, my name is Deborah Joy. I'm the host of this program, Praying for the Next Generation. I am so excited to pray with you for the next generation. Let's start with a time of praise. Psalm 145 verses 1 and 2 says, I will extol you, my God, O King and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Praise is a time when God's name is set apart for divine worship. True praise exalts and glorifies God. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 100, verses 1-5. through 5. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. As God's beloved children, let's praise His holy name together. Father, we come into Your glorious presence with shouts of praise, fiery passion, and ecstatic joy. 
You are the Eternal One, the only true God and the Shepherd of the nations. You are our Creator, and we belong to you. God, your love is so extravagant, and your faithfulness is so astonishing throughout all generations. All the nations will hear our songs of thanksgiving and the music of your splendor being lifted up to you. Be highly exalted, mighty God, and may your shining glory be seen high above all the earth. Amen. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. The Hebrew word for separate is badal, which means to be divided, excluded, sever, and made a separation. Let's invite Holy Spirit to search our hearts and humbly confess any sins that He reveals to us so we can be restored to an intimate relationship with God. Father, we come before You humbly seeking Your mercy. Holy Spirit, we invite You to search our hearts and show us any sin and every offensive way in us. Lord, please forgive us, cleanse us, and lead us into your glorious, everlasting ways, the path that brings us back to your heart. Amen. Psalm 50 verse 23 says, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. The Hebrew word for honor is kabida, which means to esteem highly, glorify, consider him as worthy of respect, reverence, and awe. Our Heavenly Father is worthy to be forever glorified and honored through our thanksgiving. What are you thankful for today? Let's pray. Father, the life that pleases you is a life lived in gratitude for grace, always choosing to walk with you in what is right. With all our hearts, we honor you, our God, with sacrifices of true praise and sincere thanksgiving. We give glory to your beautiful name always and forever. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My brothers and sisters, is this prayer the cry of your heart? Would you like to see God's perfect will being accomplished among the next generation? This is a key time for their faith to be activated, and knowing their true identity is vital in this new era. Let's boldly declare His living word over their identity, believing and expecting 
that we will see this generation rise up knowing who they are and what they're living for. Heavenly Father, we come to the throne of your grace, crying out for the next generation. Fill us with your heart of compelling love and compassion as we decree your living word over this generation. Open the eyes of their hearts. Shine the light of your truth and revelation into their innermost beings with supernatural strength and divine power. Let your unfailing love become the very source and root of their lives. Jesus, it's in you that they will discover who they are and what they are living for. Father, we are forever grateful for setting this generation free and making them fully alive with you by your Spirit and truth. You have rescued them completely from the kingdom of darkness and have translated them into a kingdom of eternal light. They are new creations. They are slaves of righteousness, of conformity to your perfect will and divine purpose. Their bodies are the temples of your Holy Spirit. They are born again of the incorruptible seed of your eternal word. Everything they need for a life of godliness and complete devotion to you has already been deposited in them by your divine power. They are your beloved children who always triumph and who release your sweet fragrance and spread your truth everywhere. Father, we praise you for making them eminently victorious and your eternal love and abundant grace have made them empowered to be unrivaled by the enemy. You have given them a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. They are partakers of your heavenly calling. They are true worshipers who worship and adore you in spirit and in truth. They are your ambassadors, chosen generation, royal priesthood, and holy nation. They are your workmanship created for good works, and they are chosen and ordained by you to bear lasting fruit. Father, this generation will go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. They will make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that you commanded them. We bless this generation in your holy name. Amen.
never ceasing call for songs and loudest praise and teach me some melodious song song by flaming tongues above praise the mountain fixed upon it mount of our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.